1: Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and this week we've got a U.S. men's national team roster dropping, as the kids say. I think they still say that. Here with me to do a pro-con discussion of a few players who could potentially make that squad are two men who always make my roster. We don't have to debate them. It's Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe.
2: Hello, Taylor. Yes, the kids do still say drop,
3: just like everyone else in the world. There we
1: go. And Graham Ruffman, hello, Graham, also a kid.
3: Uh, that is very generous of you. <laughs> Last week was my 31st birthday, and I am feeling old. So uh, thank you very much, Taylor. I'll, I'll, I will take that. I'm a kid. Young at heart,
1: Graham Ruthven Young at heart and in the face, which is the most important it's thing. It's true. <laughs> uh, as I said, we've got a roster announcement coming later this week for the USA's friendlies against Japan on Friday, September 23rd, then on Tuesday, September 27th, versus Saudi Arabia. Joe, national team rosters are always worth discussing on this show. But why is this one maybe a little bit more interesting than others?
2: Well, it's it's the last chance, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a couple different ways to look at this. One is from a macro team perspective. This, these are the last two dress rehearsals. There's nothing else after this. Mexico scheduled like 87 friendlies before the World Cup. These are the last <laughs> two for the U.S. men's national team. So for Greg Berhalter, this is the time to get players on the field together, the important players on the field together, gelling and, and trying to nail the on-field patterns and tactical stuff ahead of November 21st against Wales. This is it. So that's one side of this. Then on, on maybe like the more player-specific side, this is pretty much the last chance for someone who hasn't been involved in, this, in, the, in the player pool or hasn't been involved with the national team or hasn't been there for quite some time to jump back in. Is there a, a small chance we see someone completely different in November itself? Yeah, it, it, it's possible. I'm not going to say it's impossible. But really, this is the last primary chance to make a name for yourself, for players to come and improve themselves before the World Cup. So you have the team angle, then you have the player angle as well, and then you have the fact that these are two pretty decent opponents that you you can actually test yourself, especially Japan. I'm not as high on Saudi Arabia, but these are games where you should go out and test yourselves to make sure that you're firing on all cylinders ahead of the World Cup.
1: Yeah, we are. So roster coming out. Most of the World Cup squad does seem more or less set. There are a few spots open, a few more names vying for them. And it's with that in mind, Graham, what are we doing today in an episode that I'm unofficially <laughs> calling Taylor hosts and everyone else does the heavy lifting?
3: <laughs> everyone else fights, I think, is how <laughs> this, might, Kinda, yeah. <laughs> this might turn out. So the idea here is that we have compiled a list of 10 names the significance of that being there is 10 weeks until the start of the World Cup. Was that deliberate? I'm, I'm going to say that it was. It makes it seem like this was planned. Yep. Anyway, each of those names on, on the list <laughs> is the subject of some debate heading into this, this final camp before the World Cup. Taylor, as our wonderful host, will run through each of those names and ask Joe and I to make a case for or against the inclusion of said player. Joe and I have no idea which case we will be asked to make. It's all down to the luck of the draw, and after both arguments, Taylor may or may not assign random points for the winner or or dock points for the losers, and uh, and I'm pretty sure this is what they do in debating clubs. Not that I was ever posh enough to do those at school, but it should be fun, even if the uncertainty is slightly (laughs) anxiety-inducing.
1: Yeah, and I will say the urge to mess with you two was high. I tried to keep that to a minimum. I'm still undecided if Joe is going to be arguing in favor or against uh, Brandon Vasquez. Joe, how are you feeling about the, the, uh, the looming fate ahead of you?
2: I'm excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I don't really know what sort of ground yeah. I'm on or who I'm going to have to be saying. what. There's, there's definitely a chance to get out ahead of some of the tweets or the emails <laughs> that we're going to get. There is a chance, and a, a highly likely, yeah. it's highly likely, that Graham and I are going to say some stuff we don't mean. There are players we're going to talk about that I, I don't think should be in the squad. There are players that we're going to talk about that I do think in the squad that I might have to argue against. The point is, and I think what's so fun about this exercise, though, is that you know there are pros and cons to a lot of these players. There are reasons to bring them, and there are reasons to not bring them. I think it gave me some respect for the people that make these tough calls, for Greg Berhalter as he's going through to make this squad. It's not as easy as a lot of folks make it out to be, and I think we'll sort of see that as we go through this episode. I'm now really excited to try to figure out when it's a genuine defense versus a
1: half-hearted defense. <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, one point to each of you. For that, uh, for your excellent summaries of what we're going to be doing today, and Graham, an extra point because you called me wonderful. Thank you for that. So Graham, yes, with the Elliot. early lead, as we go to our first player, <laughs> Josh Sargent, five goals and one assist in eight matches for Norwich this season. Graham, tell us why Josh Sargent should be on that plane, or no, excuse oh, me, should be in the squad, not on the plane, in the squad. Okay, he's not. He's so, gonna he's gonna
2: sail there. What's the? He's still gonna fly, probably. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I guess on the plane means like the plane to Qatar. Fair I should enough, make that clear fair enough. Uh, why should he be included in? This squad negative points to me for already messing things up.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time I think I've ever seen a referee lose a match. But <laughs> congratulations, you're you, you're you're losing so far, Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the case for Josh Sargent to be included in this roster is a is a pretty clear one. He can't stop scoring right now. Goals are coming out of of his ears at the moment. Indeed, Sargent, he scored five goals in his last five games for North City in the Championship. Some of those goals have come as a centre-forward with Timo Puke out-injured and some of those goals have come as a right-winger. But it doesn't really matter where Sargent has scored those goals from. The thing that does matter is that he is scoring goals after a very difficult year last season. I think it's fair to say at this point, that Jesus Ferreira is at the top of the pecking order for for the number nine position that we have spent so much time and effort speaking about in the build up to the, this World Cup, but that that's certainly not set in stone. I would say so. Many people thought that Sargent would be the USMNT starting centre-forward at the 2022 World Cup back when this cycle started, and that, that says a lot about the potential he has, and, and that's the thing about Sargent. He's a high-potential player. He's got a high ceiling, maybe what the, the highest ceiling among the, the number nine pool at the moment, um, and if there's a chance that Sargent can realise that potential at the World Cup, then... Berhalter should do all that he can to give him that opportunity. And as Joe outlined at the start of the show, this is the last opportunity for players to make an impression. Sargent has timed his run well. Can you really argue that right now he's not among the most informed number nines that the US have and he deserves a look ahead of the World Cup? And even if Sargent is being sounded out, As a potential backup option to Jesus Ferreira, he makes sense to be in this roster, that the USMNT know how to play with Ferreira as the number nine, but what happens if he gets injured or suspended and Berhalter needs a player who can slot into that position, but not change the overall approach of the team. And for me, Sargent could be that player, and this window is the last opportunity to test that theory out. He should get a call-up for this roster. And then with the idea, Granby to sort of gauge
1: his development from last we saw him with the U.S., you can see if he does fit, how much he's grown, and then yeah. if he is kind of fitting in, then he's maybe starting or making some appearances in those friendlies.
3: Exactly. And obviously, Josh Sargent in, in the past has played in U.S. games, and it hasn't gone so well for him. I'd argue that he has played out of position for the U.S. in, in the past. And this is an opportunity to see, as you say, how he has developed in that time. We have analyzed Josh Sargent for Norwich in the last few weeks and even when he's playing on that right wing role, he's still getting into goal scoring positions. You're still seeing the instincts of a number nine, which is obviously his position by trade. So let's let's just test him out. And as I say, it's not set in stone that his as Ferreira as starts every single game at the World Cup, but Sargent continues continues this form for Norwich and he makes a good impression in these two friendlies that there's nothing that says he can't start at the World Cup either, even if it's not all three games. So I think his case is a is a, is a pretty strong one at the moment.
1: Joe, uh, Graham has opened the door to Josh Sargent. Why don't you go ahead and slam it in his face?
2: Yeah, I'd be happy to do that for you, Taylor, and certainly for you, Graham, as well. So Sargent does have five goals so far this season. That's that's great. Good good for Josh Sargent. Jordan Pifak has three goals at a higher level. Brandon Vasquez has 16 goals and some great underlying numbers this year as well. And and we sort of agree, Graham, I think that Jesus Ferreira is already on the plane, not just to this camp, but also to Qatar as well. So you're sort of fighting for two spots there. So you have someone scoring goals at a higher level and someone scoring significantly more goals over a larger sample size. So bringing Sargent, someone who consistently gets moved to the wing because he can't make goal-scoring runs on a regular basis, to can't because he's had a short stretch of making those runs, feels illogical. To me, this idea that he's he's never been this consistent player, now we're seeing a flash in the pan that we've had throughout his, his entire time as a professional soccer player. That flash over a short number of games, to me, does not equal any sort of repeatable long-term fix for the biggest problem in Sargent's game, which has been The fact that he doesn't actually do things that you want your goal scorer to do. So he's done a few of those this year, but that's not new. We've seen Sargent do that stuff before, whether it's in Germany or or back in England. Even for stretches of the Premier League last year, he comes on and he gets in form. He scores goals. He scores a brace, I believe, against Watford. And then nothing, right? He gets shunted back out to the wing. And guess what we're going to see over the next few months before the World Cup? He comes into camp this, uh, you know, over the next couple of weeks. He comes into camp, he goes back to Norwich, and guess where he's going to be playing? He's not going to be playing the number 9 spot. He's going to be playing out wide on the right side where he's not going to be in nearly as many of those positions to put the ball in the back of the net or really even for us to see how much he's developed with his movement. It's going to be Timu Puki. Why? Because it already has been. It's already shifted back. Puki was out with an injury, which is what created some of these moments for Sargent. Puki's back in. He started their last game against Coventry and scored a goal, Timu Puki. For Norwich, Sargent played on the right wing. That's a worrying trend. And for me, if we're talking about Josh Sargent potentially starting games at a World Cup as a, a winger who's playing in the championship, coming into this team and, and expecting him to play as a number nine to make those runs, that just feels like a recipe for disaster.
1: My goodness, Joe Lowry, that was that was quite the argument. I I find myself uh confused as to wh- what you actually believe. So well argued there, uh, Graham. Do you do you want any
3: rebuttal? Anything you'd like to say in response to that? Yeah, just recency bias is good. So you know, call him up. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I,
1: Hard to argue Joe, with that. Hard Joe, with I think that. you may have pulled it, pulled it level there. I think that's a point yeah. for Joe. Because though I want Josh Sargent in this squad, personally, I think there's that's a good argument there, especially when you're looking at the, the depth and the other options available. So I think I personally hope he gets called up. But Joe, Joe I think that was a pretty compelling argument Thank you. from you. Let's see if you can make an equally compelling argument when it comes to James Sands getting regular starts for Rangers, including in the Champions League. Joe. Why should James Sands be in this roster?
2: Well, because he can cover you in multiple different positions. Right? We've seen Great Baralther start to tweak, and we'd seen this even back into 2019, but we've seen him really, I think, in a meaningful way start to tweak the U.S.'s shape at times from a back four to a back three. We saw that back in the June window. Guess who can do that stuff and help you transition and be tactically flexible and not just do that in the back, but also do that in midfield. It's James Sands. He can be center back cover in a back four. We've seen some of that with Rangers so far this year. We've seen that with the U.S. in the past as well. He can be center back cover in a back three, which is what we saw the U.S. shift into in possession against Morocco, and then a couple other times back in the June window, and it can be cover at the number six, which I think is really valuable for this team when there's so many questions about the midfield depth. Right, there aren't a lot of clear number eight options after Yunus Musa, Weston McKennie, and Luca De La Torre. So Kellen Acosta, who we all think I think is pretty close to a lock for this team, he's been a huge player for Greg Peralta, someone he clearly likes after being sent home from the very first camp. Greg Berhalter might very much use Kellen Acosta as one of those number 8s. So then you have Tyler Adams, who's injury-prone and running around like a chicken with his head cut off for leads right now. You, You need some reliable cover for him in midfield. James Sands can do that. He can do the backline stuff. For a U.S. team that still doesn't have a lot of really quality depth in either one of those spots... It kind of feels like a no-brainer to me to bring in a Champions League player who's playing minutes for, uh, uh, for uh, a team in Scotland right now in Rangers. It seems like a no-brainer to bring him in who uh, someone who can do the job in multiple different spots.
1: Graham, how say you about young Mr. James Sands when making the counter-argument?
3: Okay, so James Sands oh oh is someone boy. that I have watched a lot of this season. Uh, as Joe mentions, he's, be, he's been a first-team player for Rangers this season, but he's only in that position because of injuries. So if Philip Hollander or John Souter is fit for Rangers, Sands... Might not have got the chance in the first place because he barely played last season when those players' suitor hadn't signed, but another player, Leon Balogun, was available and he barely played because Rangers had two better options in, in, in central defence as well as Connor Goldson, who was fit. So he might not have got that opportunity in the first place. And even if he had got that chance, if Rangers had another option, he would have been dropped by now. Sands is in poor form for Rangers at this moment. He had an excellent game against PSV, which secured champs league qualification for rangers that was the best game i'd ever seen him play for rangers but he followed that up with a horror show against ross county where he should have been sent off and he was hooked at half time. and let's keep in mind we're not talking about a high level of opposition they're talking about one of the poorer teams in the scottish premiership ross county he couldn't handle their physicality at all and then he followed that up with another bad performance in the four 0 thumping against celtic And then he met with Cameron Carter-Vickers for dinner, which compounded things. Obviously, we know the context there. Berhalter was in town. That was the explanation. But nonetheless, Rangers fans didn't really care about that. So he, he got a lot of criticism after that. And then he had another shaky game against Ajax in the Champions League, where I think it was exposed. He's not naturally... A central defender he loses his man for a for a corner kick i say loses his man rangers play zonal marking but nonetheless he should have been the one attacking the ball he wasn't he stands and watches ajax score from that corner and the the, per, the, per, the performances against celtic and ajax were particularly concerning because you could argue that the performance like the one he produced against ross county that can happen you can get bullied by a, a limited but physical center forward but celtic and ajax is the level of talent and the type of technical ability that sands is going to face in qatar And he looked out of his depth, frankly. The other issue with Sands, so this is where one of his strengths is it can be flipped and portrayed as a weakness, is that while he's uh, he's currently playing centre-back for Rangers and he can play central midfield and Joe says he can play in a back three, he can play in a back four, he, his versatility makes him a bit of a John O'Shea where he's, a, he's a, ja- a jack of all trades and a master of none, to my eye. He's, he's not got the physical attributes to be a truly great centre-back and I don't think he's a good enough ball player to be a truly great deep-lying central midfielder. Certainly not... At the top of the game, so the, the truth of the matter is whether we're looking at the center defense or the center midfield, the USMNT just has better options in both areas M- many better options, in my opinion. That's the thing, though, Graham, Is I'm struggling to think of who
2: those better options are, right? So, you think about how you want to go through and build this squad, there's numbers, there's a chance to bring additional cover both in center back and in central midfield. You know, if you're looking down in terms of players on the depth chart who can do the job better than James Sands, you get past Chris Richards and Walker Zimmerman and even players like Aaron Long and, and maybe even shit, who would be that fourth center back? CC, right. CCZ is right?
3: playing in the in the same league and playing in the sure. Champions League. And he's he has a, a much for to my eye, just a much more natural, much more uh you would trust CCV in that centre back position, where I just don't fully trust Sands. I'm not even disagreeing with that, but my my
2: point is, I'm not even sure who you go to after that fourth spot, other than James Sands, right? Because I think you can build this squad in a way that there is very clearly a room, there is very clearly room for a fifth centre back and or an extra central midfielder. When you have someone in James Sands who can do both of those jobs you can basically kill two birds with one stone and still have like a flex roster spot that you can give to either a winger or maybe someone like George Mihaly or whatever that's going to look like. Malik Tillman, we can talk about those players later, at least some of them. There's room for James Sands. I don't disagree that he's not adjusting to light exceptionally well right now for Rangers. But still, we've seen we can do both for New York City FC, one of the best teams in Major League Soccer, for Rangers at times now, and also for the U.S. men's national team. I just don't think you're
3: going to find a really a better option that can do what James Sands can do. There, there's 26 men, right, in this in the World Cup roster. Is that, is sure. that correct? Yeah. That's the size of the squad, yeah. So I think Sands is on the depth chart, but for me, he's just too low down the depth chart in both positions. He, pro- he misses out as... Like second or third out of the the player the list of players that won't get in this roster. So for centre back, I think CCV, Chris Richards, and Aaron Long, I would have all ahead of James Sands for centre back. And then I think Reggie Cannon's a good chance to be in the squad. And obviously he's got the versatility to play in, in central defence, plays right centre back for 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 uh, Bovista. And then in central midfield, we we all know Tyler Adams as a lock. Um, Kellen Acosta, we've seen him in that position. Uh, I even think someone like Luca Delatore, I would I would trust Luca De La Torre in that position over over James Sands. So again, it's just down to how far down the depth chart that he is. And this roster is designed to settle those last few positions for the World Cup. So I would not have him in the roster.
1: You all are making some compelling arguments, I have to say. And I'm realizing my problem in the show is going to be that I want everyone to be invited. <laughs> um so again, this is one where I think James Sands, like I for Joe's for Joe's arguments, like does give you a variety of different skill sets, can play a number of different positions. I think, Graham, you make a point, though, that I get nervous about the idea of him starting in any of those positions right now, because, as you said, he hasn't always looked as sharp as I would have liked, and there's that feeling of, like, yeah, he can do a bunch of stuff, but... If somebody got injured and somebody else got injured, and suddenly we need him to start against England, I, I think I'm yeah. pulling at my collar uh, just a little bit. So any,
3: any any game of that of those three group stage fixtures or a knockout uh, game, if the US gets that far, you see James Sands on the starting lineup. What genuinely? What's your immediate instinct to seeing that? New York, baby, bing-bong. <laughs> bing-bong. <laughs> uh,
1: so I'm going to give a point to Graham for that one, and I'm going to take a point away from Ross County for not uh, letting James Sands shine the way he should have. So negative one to Ross County. Negative one still to me. Graham with a 3-2 lead. We're going to take a break. We've got eight more players to discuss
0: back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We're talking who should and should not make the next U.S. Men's National Team squad. Graham Ruthven, we come to you for the goalkeeper Ethan Horvath starting for Luton Town at a time when Matt Turner and Zach Stefan are not getting minutes for their clubs. Stefan, in particular, seems to have been benched at Middlesbrough. So Graham, should Ethan Horvath? Whoa, be in the you squad? just made his
2: argument for him, Taylor. Good <laughs> gracious!
1: <laughs> all right, right all so right. I have, I have to good. argue for right, negative Ethan one Horvath for me. To <laughs> another one for me. Negative two.
3: <laughs> so I'm making the case for right, just to clarify. Yes, you are. Okay, so Ethan Horvath, the, as we all know, the USMNT goalkeeping. As you, outlined, Taylor, thanks, th- thanks for that. <laughs> the goalkeeping situation isn't isn't a great one right now. Berhalter's first and second choice, Zach Steffen and Matt Turner, aren't currently playing, which is particularly concerning in Steffen's case because he went on loan to Middlesbrough to get game time, and he has missed the last month of matches. First due to injury, and now, as you refer to there, Taylor, it now seems like maybe he's just been dropped from the team, and he ha- he hasn't he hasn't uh, played recently, and in the games. He has played. He's looked shaky, and this is where Ethan Horvath should be on the radar. For starters, he's playing first-team football for Luton Town in the Championship, so the same league that uh, that Zach Stefan is in. Not only in the same league, but Luton Town—they're they, they're quite low on the table right now. But last season they made the playoffs, and they've got ambitions of of matching that achievement again. So Luton Town are a small club, but they're not a bad team. They could feasibly win promotion to the Premier League this season that wouldn't be out of the question given their success last season and Ethan Horvath is their first choice goalkeeper obviously he's on loan from from Nottingham Forest um, where he we did reasonably well last season as well Horvath he has uh, eight caps for the USMNT so he's someone that Berhalter already knows he's been involved in the national team before and so there's no element of the unknown with him I've read reports that he's well liked in the dressing room and even if we're talking about settling on a, a third choice goalkeeper for the World Cup which again this is what this roster is all about, deciding those last few places, then uh, it's, it's it's an important quality to have for a player in that position to be well liked, not to be disruptive. And Horvath seems to, to tick that box. And if Stefan and Turner are at... Risk of losing their place, let's just say we're talking about first-choice goalkeeper, if they, if Stefan gets back into that Middlesbrough team and he's making mistakes all over the shop and he's already made a couple of mistakes for, for Middlesbrough and Turner's just not playing for Arsenal or he plays in the League Cup and he makes a mistake and all of a sudden Berhalter feels he's got no choice but to look to someone else, then uh, he needs someone he, he can draft in at short notice who is playing and someone who can also act as a, as a good third-choice goalkeeper. I might be struggling a little bit here, guys. But even, even Horvath, this is uh, my case for Ethan Horvath, and vote Horvath. He ticks all the boxes, and he should be in the roster.
1: Started strong. Uh, got a little nervy there at the end, Graham. Uh, Joe, uh, should, why should Ethan Horvath not be in the squad?
2: Well, I think so much about what the U.S. is doing and what they've been building, and Greg Baralter's played a big part in this, whether you like it or not, is building towards... 2026, right? You think about the core ages of this group right now. Adams, McKenney, Polisic, Reyna, Musa. These players are young. Death, these players are young. They're in their early 20s. They're exciting teenage talent coming up through the pool right now. For me, especially when you think about a spot like the third string goalkeeper or, or even like any anyone outside of the starting goalkeeper who is not going to play at all at the World Cup, you look at trying to bring in the next generation. And I know the U.S. Has already has – a ton of next-generation players that are playing now, right? You know, Guys that might be in the next generation for a team like England or a team like Germany. They're they're playing now because of that lost generation. But Ethan Horvath, in terms of looking for a veteran present, sure, he's older, but we talked about this with Josh Cohen a couple of weeks ago. He doesn't have World Cup experience. He doesn't have a ton of national team experience. Graham, you said it, eight caps. That's not a voice that's going to be able to really lead you and guide you, which is sort of the only other way outside of having a young player coming in in goal, that you can really rationalize having a third goalkeeper. So for me, it's it's pretty clear that between 2026 and the fact that Horvath doesn't have a ton of experience, it's clear that you want to give that to Goggle Sonina. 2026 is going to be the biggest soccer spectacle that we've ever seen in the United States and maybe the biggest that the world has ever seen. Preparing for that with a spot like the third goalkeeper that's not going to be involved and, and really ever make any meaningful contributions at the World Cup to me, that is a no-brainer to reward someone like Gaga Slanina over a player like Ethan Horvath, who really doesn't have a, a massive future with this program.
1: So, Graham, would the argument then be uh, in favor of Ethan Horvath that it's essentially, though we've got these kind of two goalkeepers who have been there who seem to have been battling for the number one spot and we have other goalkeepers who've been involved in the depth conversation, that at this point Horvath essentially has the most stable number of minutes yeah. and the overall season so far?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So my my argument kind of tailed off towards the end, but it was strongest when I was considering I was Horvath doing the post-mortem as a post mortem on
2: his own. <laughs> <argument>. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it was strongest when I was arguing for him as the as a third choice goalkeeper because it's quite a simple one in my mind. There, he is someone that Beralter knows. He's been in the squad before. He's playing first team football, and he's not going to disrupt things too much. That's basically the case for Ethan Horvath to to be in this roster. Every team needs a third choice goalkeeper. It's an unsexy job to have. But Ethan Horvath is uh he takes a lot of boxes in that regard. Unsexy goalkeeper. Uh yeah, yeah. I mean I don't know
1: I don't know with this one. This one's tough. I might I might just have to give uh zero points. Maybe I'll give myself a point and bring it back to negative one instead (laughs) for this one because it does feel like, Graham, I think I put you in a difficult position because I think it is Turner and Stefan sort of to drop one of them, I think would be a pretty sizable shift for Greg Berhalter. It would mean that like, it's hard to drop them and then have them come right back in and not have there be hard feelings. Uh, so then it's basically, are you leaving out Sean Johnson? Are you not calling up Slonina? Are you calling in Stefan? And I think, or excuse me, Horvath. I think it gets really murky really, really quickly. So I think we probably won't see him included, but I think we also should. And that's where I'm inclined to say, I think you both made very good arguments. I think they cancel out. No points for anybody. We'll see if no, Joe, no draw. Joe
3: can get... <laughs> Uh, Everyone well, likes a nil-nil no, no draw.
1: Yeah, <laughs> everyone's favorite result, especially if you're Italian. Isn't that what they say? The perfect game is nil-nil? No, nil-nil, no? <laughs> <No, no>, baby. <laughs> uh, let's see who can get a point here. Uh, Graham's going to be unhappy. Joe, why should Malik Tillman, 20-year-old oh, no. uh, player on loan at Rangers from Bayern Munich, why should he <laughs> be in this squad?
2: Because of what we've seen from him already this season. This, this to me, is pretty straightforward. He combines athleticism and technical quality better than any of the other auxiliary wing options so let me explain this I think Graham you would agree with this as well the top four options when they're healthy the U.S. men's national team out wide are very clear right it's Christian Pulisic it's Gio Reyna it's Brendan Aronson and it's Tim Weah big challenge there is health because those players don't tend to be all that healthy outside of Brendan Aronson the other three have been extremely injury prone but either way if we set that aside the top four are, are set in stone at this point they're all locks if they're healthy for the World Cup then then what After that, is my question. Then what? You're trying to think about bringing Jordan Morris, playing for a struggling Seattle Sounders team. You're trying to think about bringing Christian Roldan, who's been hurt right now, even though he seems to be this locker room glue guy. He's not very likely to be in the September roster because he's been dealing with an injury. You're talking about Paul Areola? You know, maybe. But are we convinced that Paul Areola can do things that Malik Tillman can't do? He has the engine, he has the athleticism, and he has some ability on the ball, and Beyond that, when we're talking about big tournaments that we are looking ahead to at the World Cup, and certainly we'll see some of that influenced here in September as well, the U.S. men's national team hired a, a set-piece coach specialist recently. They're they're clearly emphasizing quality delivery and quality actions on set-pieces. Malik Tillman, Rangers literally built a, a header challenge around Malik Tillman for his aerial <laughs> ability. You're talking about a tournament where set-pieces are going to be extremely important, like World Cups always are with set-pieces. Malik Tillman is a guy who can give you real output on set pieces, certainly over any of the other auxiliary sort of depth options on the wing and even over any of the starting options as well. I think he is better in the air than most U.S. players right now. For me, that's, that's more than enough, combined with some of the unimpressive performances we've seen from the depth options out wide, that is more than enough to get Malik Tillman in this squad.
1: Graham, make the argument against Malik Tillman, even if it makes you physically uncomfortable.
3: Oh boy. So, okay, here we go. Malik Tillman, it's certainly true that he has made an impact on loan at Rangers. That is true. Can't deny that. But he's trying to force his way into the strongest area of the USMNT roster. The, the, the USMNT at this point, they don't need Malik Tillman. There are other areas where Berhalter needs solutions, but the wide attacking areas are, are not among them. He already has. A lot of quality there, a lot of, a lot of different variety as well is the thing about those, those options. So Pulisic and Weah, Aronson are, are di- is different to Wea on the right side. Gio Reyna is different to all of them. Then Paul Areola, he's got his own qualities as well on the on the defensive side of the ball. And it would be understandable if Berhalter stuck with what he has for the roster because he has a better understanding of what players like Pulisic and Wea and all those guys are just listed off there. He's got a better understanding of what they will offer and what they will be like in camp and what they will be like in certain circumstances. Tillman has he's just timed his runs slightly too late. He wasn't involved in the World Cup qualification cycle. He was called up to the June camp, but there, there wasn't there, there there hasn't been much time at all to integrate him. And we know that Berhalter values the character and profile of the group as a whole. He doesn't just look at individuals. So to reiterate, it's just too late for from Al Tillman to come into this squad and play an, an an important role in Qatar and start matches and be influential. And that's what this roster is about. Is the, we, the U.S. needs players to offer something on the pitch. And it should be noted that while Tillman started extremely well for Rangers and he's arguably been their player of the season, the best player of the season, he's been in he's been poor in his last two or three performances. He was well below par in the Old Firm Derby, which Rangers lost 4-0. Um, and he was poor against Ajax in the Champions League. And in both games, particularly that Old Firm Derby, Tillman looked timid. And in and, and the Old Firm Derby, he was, he was o- sort of overawed by what Celtic threw at him. And it wasn't much different against Ajax either. And as I said about John, uh, John Stones, what, the, what am I talking about? <laughs> James Sands. Uh, James Sands, as I said about James Sands, that's the sort of level and that sort of profile of teams you're going to face at the World Cup, and Tillman just didn't, didn't handle that at all. So if this roster is a bit preparing for the 2022 World Cup, it should prioritize players who are going to make a meaningful impact at that tournament. And Tillman, all things considered, is probably a player for 2026. So let's come back to him later and see where he is after a longer period of time at Rangers. Okay, Graham, I have a question for you. So is Malik Tillman a better player
2: than Paul Arriola?
3: Yes, technically, of course he is. Okay. But Paul Ariola, for me, offers more on the defensive side of the ball. And I look at those games against Celtic where he faced a, a high pressing, high intensity team, and Ajax as well. And he was anonymous. He offered nothing in those two games. And against England, or even against Wales, who are going to press try and pressure the US. The US have better individual quality than Wales, but Wales are going to try and take possession in that in that game. That the possession is going to be up for grabs. Tillman, for me, is not going to offer enough in those scenarios. And if then if you're looking at him as a difference maker, I would rather have Reyna, Wea, Pulisic, all those guys I would have ahead of him as well.
1: Man, that also did not go the way I thought it was going to go because I was all in on Tillman. <laughs> but I think you're right, Graham, that there there is the idea that if he's not going to be that difference maker... Maybe you kind of go with the people that have been there. And Graham especially making uh, an impassioned argument for Paul areola I did not see coming. So I'm going to say, <laughs> points to Graham for that one. Well argued, This podcast is
3: doing funny things. This, this, this <laughs> is a weird one.
1: It, it really is. I wasn't ready to be against Malik Tillman. Uh, I'm sure we'll hear about it. Or I will specifically, since I just made that decision. Uh, I, I wonder what comments we'll get for this one. Graham, why should Gio Reyna be in this squad? Uh, I, I won't even do any preamble uh, so as not to be... Uh, get allegations of favoritism or help from Joe Lowry. But Graham, why should Gio Reyna be in the squad?
3: Okay, this one's an easy one for me. So in terms of natural talent, Gio Reyna might be the best player the USMNT has at the moment. The last 12 months have been a nightmare for him. He's barely played. He's lost a lot of time. And that has been very frustrating for Reyna himself and also for the USMNT because Reyna is the sort of player who could lift the water level for the team as a whole. There is still time for the USMT to get that player, that generational talent, back into the side before the 2022 World Cup. We're not talking about bringing in a player completely from scratch, kind of like Malik Tillman. He has been in the squad before. He's been in the environment. He's been in the camp. He's known to bear He just hasn't been in for a little while due to injuries. That is a different scenario for me and nobody can tell me that a fully fit and fully integrated reina wouldn't improve the usmnt at the world cup and if he's to be integrated properly before that tournament it needs to happen now with this being the last window before the tournament starts in november it's not just that Reyna's a very naturally talented player, it's that he offers something a little bit different. And, and the USMT, they've got plenty of attackers who are comfortable in the break when, and when they've got space to work with and to break into. But there have been times under Berhater where they've struggled to break down low defensive blocks. And the guile that Reyna has in the ball. His nimble footwork, his ability to speed play up and find space when there isn't much, and wriggle through challenges—that makes him a different sort of threat for the U.S. And for me, you—you you have to include him in this roster.
2: Wait, so Graham, when is that fully fit Giorena going to show up? Because
3: I—I
2: <laughs> haven't seen him for a while. Do we? Do we want to play the game of? Let's let's play a game. We can all play this game. It'll be fun. I'm not sure, Yeah. Sorry. Joe. Let's Go ahead. let's let's guess when the last time Gio Reyna played 90 minutes was. Taylor, you want to go first, or should Graham go first?
1: Uh, Graham can go first.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> do you want to guess? As-
2: it's gotta be close to like a year ago or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Actually, not. It actually hasn't been quite that long. It was in March. Eleven it was, months. It was. Oh, okay, right. It was in March. So it's been a while. My point here is just that Gio Reyna cannot seem to stay healthy. Right? You look up his transfer market injury history. We're talking muscular problems. We're talking more muscular problems. We're talking about muscle injuries, hamstring injuries, more muscle injuries, and then he's been out. He has not played ninety minutes. As I said. Since Sunday, March 20th, that was a game against Köln in the Bundesliga. Barely played in World Cup qualifying because he was injured and still hasn't played a full 90 minutes this year. For me, and, and everybody knows where I stand on this whole injury stuff, right? We know what Gio Reyna can do when he's healthy. So the priority should be on letting Gio Reyna get healthy so he can show what he can do, not forcing him back into a team so he can sort of let you know glimpses of what he can do now while he's not fully fit and risk him getting injured. I don't I don't have much else to say other than that. Gio Reyna is clearly talented. I'm not trying to say he's not. He is, I believe, the U.S.'s best player and certainly their most talented player, maybe their most talented player of all time. I think he's that good. But the risk you take by bringing him in and forcing him onto the field right now, when he's not played 90 minutes in 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 months and months and months, that to uh, me just feels incredibly unwise.
3: I'm not I'm not talking about him having having him play 180 minutes, Joe, of both games and having him <laughs> do the Eric Ten Hag 13 nope, kilometer No, no, him the carbonite in Dortmund, Graham, in Dortmund. That's the only place where they have carbonite. He let's so this roster is all about preparing for the World Cup, right? And I think there's a very good chance that by the time that World Cup comes around in November, we do have a, a fully fit Reina I think he's fitter than the, the minutes he's playing for Dortmund right now. I think Dortmund kind of like um, aligning with your thoughts there, Joe. They're very wary about rushing him back because I think they did that before and that cost them a lot of a lot of time and he suffered a, an aggravation and and he was out for for longer. So I think they're being overly cautious. When he has come on, he has looked fit. He's made a difference in games, even in games that Dortmund have lost like the one at Leipzig he was their their best player when he came off the bench so you, you want him into the squad just to we all as you say we all know what Reyna's good at and what he can do but you want him back in the environment just to reintroduce him it's been a long time since he's he's been in that camp and by the time the World Cup comes around he's going to be fully fit and he's going to be comfortable in that environment and calling up to this roster will have had a benefit
1: Joe, do you also think that Dortmund's medical team is exaggerating Gio
2: Reyna's injuries? I I don't know anything about (laughs) Dortmund's medical team, although I did get flashbacks to, was that injury crisis they had last year, right, and all of a sudden everyone was pointing fingers at their medical staff and there was like legitimate conversations that were being had around that? I was crazy. I forgot about that. I don't. I don't know what Dortmund it was is Rondle doing. The machine they've got. Yeah, yeah. It's all the high tech stuff. The robots are taking over. I don't know what Dortmund's plan is, but I do think making sure that Gio Arena doesn't do too much on the field is a really important thing.
1: I'm not. I'm not sure. I believe that argument from Joe Lowry. Uh, but <laughs> I also. I also do feel like Dortmund has injury like issues every season, or injury crises every season. And I do know for sure. That I enjoyed Graham yada yadaing over uh, Gio Reina being injured for nine months and Luton Town being in the relegation zone, but maybe also making it uh, into the promotion playoffs as you gotta well. you got to be optimistic. <laughs> Uh I think I I'm gonna give the point to Joe again, even if I want uh Giorena involved. I think because I know that that probably was Joe's least favorite thing he's had to do on the yeah, show, that, was argue that was against Giorena. Like
2: yeah, this is okay. So I'm not, I i have not shared any of my other opinions on yeah. whether or not I've agreed with anything mm-hmm. I've said so far. I will now. Giorena should be in the camp. Of yeah. course. It's so obvious he <laughs> should be. Just don't play him a ton. Let him let him get some reps, maybe forty five minutes here, maybe ninety minutes if he can in one of the games. But yeah. Graham is Graham is right, but I'll still take the point anyway, Taylor. Just I'm for, just well.
3: uh, just a few laps after training. You correct. Know, maybe yes. maybe Just cut them down to seven kilometers, not the full thirteen. I right. mean, Joe
1: got the point, but then also conceded that Graham was correct. So Graham also gets a point. Five, five. three. I can take it.
2: The burden <laughs> of lying about Giorena was too hard. I couldn't carry it all on my own.
1: Uh, although I really enjoyed Joe. You uh, doing like you guys are both very good at this because Joe went with the like all one hundred and eighty minutes, and <laughs> Graham caught that and, and refuted it quickly. <laughs> yeah. Well done, fellas. I'm well, well played. Uh, I'm enjoying this one. Uh, let's keep it going, then. Uh, Joe, why should
2: Tim Reem be involved in this camp? Okay, so we talked about experience earlier in, in terms of the third goalkeeper spot, which I maintain is is not the necessary spot to have that. You do want experience when you're talking about players that could actually see the field in some different regard. So Tim Ream is 34. He's smart. I think he has that experience. He's talked with Greg Berhalter on the sidelines before. It seems like he's he's sort of been prepared to be a manager once he's done. That's one piece of this. With, with a U.S. team that has so little experience in this group, having it in Tim Ream, I think, could be incredibly valuable. The other part of this, guys, is that he's playing right now at a higher level than every center back in the U.S. player pool, with the exception of Chris Richards, but he's actually playing soccer, where, where, where Chris Richards is not a regular player, certainly not a regular starter for Patrick Vieira and Crystal Palace. And when he has been playing, Richards has played a little bit wider. You can see Tim Ream, In his quality, week in and week out for Fulham, he's a really good passer. If John Brooks has been exiled to the shadow realm, which he does certainly feel that way, Tim Rehm is the best passing center back in the player pool. He can help you break down low blocks, which we're going to see, right? You think about who the U.S. has in this group. Point to the really free-flowing attacking team. There isn't one, right? England is the most talented team in this group, hands down. Sorry, Graham, I know that hurts to hear. It hurts me to say it, too. England is that team. But they don't play free-flowing, attacking soccer under Gareth Southgate. They play defensive. They play sluggish soccer. You think about Wales. They do a lot of the same stuff. Their MO is to sit deep and force you to break them down. You think about Iran. We don't know a ton about them, right, because they keep changing managers left and right like it's going out of style. But Carlos Quiroz is not going to play this really dynamic, wide-open, free-flowing Spanish style. It's not going to happen. So when we're thinking about how the U.S. is going to create chances in this tournament, I think it's naive to think about just the wingers and the attacking players, again, many of whom are extremely injury-prone. You've got to start at the back. You start where the attacks are going to start themselves, and you think about Tim Rehm as someone who can actually help you break down blocks and get the ball onto the foot of a Yunus Musa between the lines, or a Christian Pulisic between the lines, or, fingers crossed, a Gio Reyna between the lines. Tim Room hasn't seen the field for the U.S. in too long at this point. He needs to be back in September. He's going to bring that experience. He's going to bring that on-ball quality that I think the U.S. is really going to be crying out for in November. That should start later next week.
1: All right. Strong arguments from Joe Lowry. Graham, uh, counter-arguments for you. Just old. <laughs>
3: wow. <laughs> no, I've got more. I've got more. So that is that is part of it. Right, and so ageism
0: check. Got it. Cool. <laughs> well,
3: see, the thing is, I I am now thirty one, as I said at the top of the show, mm-hmm. and so in soccer terms, I would also be old. So I feel like I can I can get away with that now, calling someone else old. But yep. yeah, I mean, it is a fact that in soccer terms, Tim Ream is uh, is old. But here's the thing, right? So let's let's take a step back and. Go all the way back to when Baralter was appointed the US MNT head coach. And he the remit that he had, and he spoke about this at length, was that he was he was building a team for the future. He he famously spoke about changing the way the world perceives American soccer. And the core of players that he's got now, that he's cultivated, has has a chance of doing that. And the US will have one of the youngest teams at this World Cup, and that will give them a lot of verve and uh, exuberant, youthful exuberance and that hopefully will translate into their performances and Reem does not fit with that vision he's not going to be around for the 2026 World Cup so that's another little bit of context yes, it is important that the US does well at this World Cup particularly after missing out in the last one but the bigger context is the U.S. needs to be strong for the 2026 World Cup. He's not going to be playing in for 2026. So he would be a short-term solution, and the U.S. is, is building for something more meaningful than that. Plus... Arthur doesn't seem too sure about Ream's skill set and how it works in this team. I can't imagine us- using Ream with the, the, the high line that you, the USMNT likes to play. Joe mentions that the US might, might have a lot of possession, at, maybe not against England, but in the other two games might have a lot of possession in those two games, and that's correct and Reem might help with playing out from the back but he's also going to face teams trying to counter and putting balls in behind him and who's his centre-back par- partner going to be? It's going to be Walker Zimmerman he's not exactly uh, I was going to say Killian Mbappe let's, let's think of a fast centre-back he's not exactly Raphael Varane so that would be a big weakness for the US because Tim Reem is as slow as a week in the jail and it is not a good fit for this USMNT team and that's why he should not be in this roster because he shouldn't be on the roster for the World Cup and as I've said a number of times this roster's about preparing for that plane to guitar. All
1: right, Joe. So that that is the, I feel like, knock on Tim Ream is the lack of pace. Any rebuttal to that one from you?
2: Well, what what's the point of having a defensive-minded center back, which I think we can all agree Walker Zimmerman is, if you're not going to actually use his recovery pace to cover for something, right? That's the point of having Walker Zimmerman in the back is so he can do that stuff. Zimmerman has, Graham, I think a lot more speed than you're giving him credit for, so I'm I'm coming through the numbers right now. He's been in the 79th percentile, in terms of all MLS players in top sustained, top sustained speed, excuse me, according to Second Spectrum, he's moving. That's not just among defenders, that's among everybody. That's among that, the Cade Cowles that, and the Jesus that's Herrera. Just,
3: that's Viking speed. That's a, that's a slower speed than <laughs> normal people.
2: It's calculated in Nordic Nordic meters per second. They're, they're longer. Uh, I mean, it is it is true that Tim Ream is not fleet of foot, but then I question about how Greg Baralther has built this back line. What's the point of having those players to do the defensive cover? if you're going to sacrifice any sort of ball-playing ability from the back.
1: Joe Lowry, you've made a compelling argument. Tim Ream in the squad. Joe Lowry with a point. It's 5-4. <laughs> to four. One day I will just call you Joe. I will not call you Joe Lowry, but I think... I don't know what it is. Joe Lowry just just rolls it kinda, off the It kind of fits, yeah. It does. I don't know. It does. Uh, so,
3: so here's here's the thing with with Tim Tim Ream, right? Uh-huh. When we were researching, the judge this, has ruled I'm, Graham. The judge has ruled, but you can continue.
1: I'm actually a like 30 second post mortem after the ruling, but it's like <laughs> yeah, I didn't actually mean that at all. I'm enjoying this. Go
3: ahead, Graham. Yeah, sorry. so here's the thing, right? When when that name was on the list, my my initial instinct is he shouldn't be on the roster. And then uh, then the the more I researched it, I actually kind of came round to the notion of Tim Ream. Like the argument is pretty strong and that he's in form he's playing at a high level and the u.s don't really have a solid partner for for chris richards so
0: i give you the point as well joe
3: <laughs> thanks Grim. all
1: right uh four more players still to be discussed back soon
0: to do just that this episode is brought to you by michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before michelob ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive nba prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
1: So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS, to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mac Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. We are back. Before we get to our next player, Joe, I actually have a clarification question for you from something we said, you said a while ago. Okay. Uh, regarding Malik Tillman. The argument that I think I went with in the end was that like he's not specialized enough. He doesn't bring like a skill set that's at that next level where he could be the difference maker. I think I agreed with that. Was your argument, or was at least part of your argument, that his aerial ability is that specialized skill set?
2: Yeah, that's kind of it, right? And I don't know that that alone should be enough to get Malik Tillman to Qatar. I think the U.S. has other players that can be dangerous in the air. My point sort of is that, yes, that is a specialized skill set, and when you add that to his creativity on the ball, which I think is is much better in some ways than Paul Areola and Jordan Morris and Christian Waldon, the other players that are competing for the backup winger spots. You add that to his technical ability, and you also add in, I think, his his engine and his work rate, which I think is probably a little bit better than even I've given him credit for in the past. I think it does make Tillman a, a really interesting option to bring into September. That, that's sort of the point. I'm, I don't gotcha. know that the set-piece stuff is enough, but it is something. Gotcha. And then
1: uh well, we have Graham the expert on aging. Uh Graham, Malik Tillman, old <laughs> or young?
3: Uh he's young, okay, cool. right? Cool, cool, cool.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you said old at twenty, you and I would be fighting, my friend. But we're not. Instead, I'm gonna ask you about a different player, Graham. Uh Samuel Marcus Lloyd Vines. Marcus with a Q. Didn't know that
3: until I looked it up. Today. Oh, that's epic. Wow. Graham, why should Sam Vines be in the squad? Okay, so Anthony Robinson, as we all know, is is the USMNT's best left-back right now. There's not really much doubt about that. However, Robinson is currently injured and won't be included in this roster, which highlights just how big a problem Berhalter could have if something similar happens at the World Cup. And that's why Berhalter has to look at genuine options in this camp. And Sam Vines should be one of those options. For starters, left-back is his actual position. There aren't many (laughs) of those players in the US pool at the moment who actually, at their first choice position, is left-back. Sergino Dest, as we know, he can play at left-back, but he's a right right footer, he's a a natural right-back, putting him at left-back is a bit of a compromise. Vines is is a real-life left-back and he's playing in that position for Antwerp in the Belgian top flight this season. And the, the U.S. has a real shortage of left-backs. George Bellow might have been in that, in that conversation, but he's not really doing all that much this season, so Sam Vines ahead of him in the pecking order. Joe Scally is another one, but he's been playing right back for Gladback this season, and, and like Dest, he's, he, he's right-footed. So Vines might not have been involved much in, in World Cup qualifying. I would say that is maybe a, a, a fault that should be corrected, and we're talking about bringing new players in. He's not a new player necessarily, of course, he has been involved. But in this particular instance, I think the US squad would be more rounded with a, a natural left-back coming into the squad for the World Cup. And Berhalter needs to make the most of, of these windows, this window in particular, sorry, to, to come up with solutions at left-back, perhaps more than any other position in his team right now. And I don't really see a better option than Sam, Sam Vines at this moment.
1: Joe, do you see a better option than Sam Vines?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, kind of,
2: right? I, I, I'm curious to see if anybody else does too. I, I'm just not at all sold that Sam Bynes is a better left back than Joe Scalley, right? I, I think it's that simple for me. Joe Scalley's played that spot at a higher level, he's played that spot with the U.S. men's national team more recently. He checks the boxes and does an extra job as well in that he can fill in on the right if Serginio Dest goes down with an injury, which which does happen. And by bringing in Joe Scali, you can still carry Reggie Cannon on the right side. And Cannon might well be the key to one of the U.S.'s tactical in-game shifts with, with them moving from a back four to a back three. So I, I just don't think that Sam Vines is a, Better soccer player, nor do I think he's a better left back than Joe Scally. Scally has a better passing range. He has a good weak foot. His, his left foot is not his dominant foot. But we've seen Greg Baralter use that in the past to some success. I think back to the US playing Jamaica overseas, I believe in, in 2020 is when that was. And Serginho Dest playing on the left, he cuts inside and scores an absolute worldie. Baralter can use that spot, and he's proven to have some tactical flexibility in his back pocket. I think bringing Scally for the passing that he brings, for some of the defensive reads that he can make, and for generally his increased comfort on the ball, to me, adding that to Joe Scally's, uh versatility, that's the word I was looking for. I-, I think that just makes Sam Vines surplus to requirements in this particular
3: roster, both for September and then maybe even looking beyond mm. as well. Sam Vines, though, he gives you a little bit more tactical flexibility if he's included as one of those those as uh, as a depth option at left back because one of the features of Sam Vines' game is that he likes to drive into central midfield, he attacks the half space, and obviously we know the first choice for Berhalter was with, with Robinson is to get him wide, get deliveries into, into the box. And and Vines is, is a different sort of left back to, to Anthony Robinson. Yeah. But that, for me, is, is a good thing. That means that if Anthony Robinson is being closed off in a game and that channel is just not happening for the US, the US have the option to bring on someone like Sam Vines, push Pulisic a, a little bit wider, higher up the pitch, and then ask Sam Vines to drive into midfield and attack that half space and maybe create some overloads, maybe open up a little bit of the more of the pitch. So... I like that Sam Vines would bring that versatility and that flexibility to the to the roster. Don't don't you think, Grim, that Joe Scally does that stuff too? Though I mean, when I've watched Munch and Gladbach
2: this year, granted some of it is coming on the right this season. Last year, though, we saw Scally play a lot of outside back on the left, and he tucks into midfield too, right? Scally likes to come inside. I don't think the differences are great enough in how Vines and Scally would play that role that you can justify, or, or that Greg Berhalter can justify bringing Vines over Scally, when you look at the differences in their body of work and and the skill set that they provide. So, I don't know. I I struggle with the idea of Sam Vines being included because it just feels like a missed opportunity that you could have depth and versatility then attributed to other areas of the squad.
1: Is it, Graham, an either-or situation, though? Because it stands to reason with no Anthony Robinson, which is genuinely a thing I forgot was going to be the case. You could have Scally and Vines.
3: Yeah, you could, and I think you. Pro- I think you probably should. That's right. Joe's made the argument that, uh, with uh, Vines versus versus Scally, but with both players playing first team football, Scally playing first team for Gladbach this season, you you can have both in this roster. You can have a look at. You can have have a look at both players. You can have one of them play the Japan game, one of them play the Saudi Arabia game. You could you switch it up in terms of half so you get that direct comparison against the same opposition. There's definitely a place in this roster for natural. For a, for a left-back, we can all agree on that. For for someone that, if it's not Sergino Dest, someone who can come in and play in place of Andy Robinson if he's suspended or injured or, or whatever. And so this is the last opportunity for Berhalter to examine some options. So Vines is, is surely on that list of two. And as you say, you can have Scali and Vines in this roster. Well, yeah,
2: think- well left-backs are dumb, Graham. That's, <laughs> that's, there's no play. <clears throat> yeah, I got nothing. If Johnny Robinson is out... There should be another left back yeah. with a left foot, but That's we don't know. Maybe, thing. maybe Jedi Robinson is fit. Hey. Maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm hearing from Fulham right now that he's back and fully healthy and better than ever. <laughs> you guys don't know. Ah, ah, lying.
1: The best way to win a debate. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think Graham uh, hits it with the we need genuine options there, and I think Vines could be one of those. I think Scally could be as well. I, je- I really did forget that Anthony Robinson is injured and won't be called in, which. At that point, like it's like if I set you up for a duel and then Graham was given a cannon and Joe was yeah. given a cap gun. I sorta I sorta uh shorted you there, Joe. So when,
2: when Graham made it through like his first couple minutes without mentioning the injury, I actually thought I might make it out of this one alive. Yeah. But uh that that did not go my way at the end of the day. <laughs>
1: I appreciate the postmortem once again. Point to Graham. Uh, Joe, let's see if you can get one back by uh, explaining why Eric Williamson should be involved.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I I love this one. I love Eric Williamson as a player, too. I think he's incredibly fun to watch with what he does on the ball and some of the work we've seen him do for Portland defensively, a team that really prioritizes being compact and shifting as a unit. I think a lot of that stuff applies to the U.S. men's national team. The The big thing here for me, and I mentioned this earlier, right, is where's your depth in midfield? We talked about James Sands. I think that's an option for deeper down in midfield. But where's your depth in the eight spots? It's it's McKenney, It's Musa. Okay, I'm with those. It's Luca de la Torre. Okay, I'm with that. Maybe Brendan Aronson is coming and pinching in at times as a a number eight. But I don't think that is Baralther's first choice. Nor do I think it's a look he'll go to in every single game. Which means you need someone else to cover and be an option in this midfield group who actually is a number eight. And Eric Williamson, I think when you look at what he's done for Portland since coming back from the injury is is the best candidate to do that stuff. So who who's your fourth number eight, right? I kind of talked about that. Williamson fits really well in possession. You think about the the profile that Baraltas lean towards with Musa and De La Torre, and even to an extent Weston McKinney, it's really good ball progressors, right? It's players that can drive the ball forward, receive on the half turn, and, and really carry into the attacking half to put the ball on a platter for Gio Reyna or Christian Pulisic, or even a player like Jesus Ferreira, whoever's playing as that number nine, Brother clearly has a type, and Eric Williamson is that type. He can be a plug-and-play option for some of the other players. And I, I think he has a better passing range than a lot of folks give him credit for as well. It's not just the the, the on-ball ability to drive forward. But it's also something that we've criticized Yunus Musa for in the past of not releasing the ball at the right time. William, Williamson, I think he's a, he's a little bit older, and he has experience and knows when to, to drop the ball and to lay it off or to play it forward or do something to get the ball out from under his foot. So, I mean, quite simply, I, I just think he's the best option that you're going to get in a, in a group that needs options as backups in midfield. And so for, for me, it kind of makes this one a no-brainer. All right, so Joe says no-brainer when it comes to Eric Williamson. Graham, how
3: say you? So Eric Williamson is a good player with the potential to be a useful player for the USMNT in the future. I know he's not especially young. He's 25, but nonetheless, by the time the next World Cup comes around, he'll be 29 in his peak years. So it's, it's, it's feasible that he could be an important player for the USMNT by that time. And had he not torn his ACL last year, there's a good chance he'd be higher up the pecking order than he is right now. But the fact of the matter is, that he did suffer that injury and it's been a, diff- a difficult road back for him. And of course the Portland Timbers are doing what the Portland Timbers always do at this time of year and winning four matches in a row in time in their run for the playoffs. And it's no coincidence-, coincidence that Williamson is in form and that has people wondering about his place in this national team. But when you just you just look at the competition, Joe listed off players there for that number eight position. So we're talking about at most two positions in the team there. And there's there's just... Too much for, for Williamson to, to overcome in a short period of time. So you've got McKenna, McKenna, Musa, Delatore. You can also uh, Kellen Acosta is capable of playing that position. Brendan Aronson, you mentioned him, Joe, in your depth chart, but then also Gio Reyna, again, not his his preferred position, but you're talking about players with versatility. You've only got twenty six spots. So my question is how many number eights? You said the fourth number eight that the US needs. I take it that would be a specialist number eight. I don't think I want four specialist number eights in my roster. I probably want three or, or or four I would argue that there is there are four when if you factor in Acosta so I think there are four there already I certainly don't want five and then you can have Aronson and and Reyna come in to be depth options as well so I just think he's given himself too much time uh, too much to make up in in, in the last camp and um, if we're deciding the last few places does anyone truly believe that Williamson is going to be in that World Cup squad for Qatar because I don't think I do and that's what should dictate this roster okay, so let's do the let's run through the
2: roster construction here because I think we, maybe we should have done this earlier with James sands but let's let's do it now so we're talking about goalkeepers anybody have an issue with three goalkeepers That feels right, doesn't it I feel like we can work with that yeah, yeah. then then you look at defenders I don't know if it should be five center backs or four or full fullback four full backs or five. But 9 Joe, defenders feels right, doesn't it? It does. Quick question for you. Are you talking about this roster or are you talking about the World Cup roster? Well, they should be the same, shouldn't they?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I just want to clarify. So you're saying basically we're building towards 26 players, right?
2: Correct. So 26 okay. players. Okay. I think this September roster should look basically the same as okay. that November squad. Okay. Yes. So, so we're talking about nine defenders. Then we're looking at two number sixes, right? If we don't get to bring James Sands, which is fine, whatever. Then we're looking at... at we'll, we'll skip the number eights for now, actually. Then we'll go to the wingers. Five wingers, that, that does leave room for yep. Paul Areola, um, if mm-hmm. if that's the way we want to go here. And then three number nines. That leaves six open spots in the squad that leaves shoot maybe it's four maybe it's five dang it I did my math wrong I believe it's five open (laughs) five open spots in the squad so not only does that mean we can bring a fourth number eight grand I'm not I'm not advocating for us to bring a fifth one but there's room right is my point I I go through thank you Taylor for for fact checking me I I really fumbled the bag right at the end there my (laughs) point is there's room for someone in this squad and, and, and if we say it doesn't need to be a nine or a goalkeeper there's plenty of winger options already the top of the the number six and number eight depth charts are already sorted out like who else who else do you want it to be why not have it be an all-action player in the most important part of the field that could really bring some value and rotate in 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 a really important spot that's why I think Eric Williamson should be there not that he should be first but I think your point Graham about not needing a fourth number eight is is probably a little misguided with games coming so close together
3: because I, the reason I wouldn't have them is because I, I think the U.S. can um, repurpose other players, better players, into that number eight spot. And you can open up a place in the attack for another player to come in. Not Well, yes, Malik <laughs> Tillman, actually. I forgot we're not arguing anymore. Yeah, yeah Malik Tillman, True. why not? Um, because I, I hear what you're saying about... Um, three games in quick succession but I think the US are I think they're covered for three games in quick succession I think they're covered for a tournament in midfield and I would rather Eric Williamson is not a difference maker and I would rather bring in someone who could potentially be that difference maker if we're talking about opening up a free spot in the squad which is what I'm talking about that's what I would was what I would use that place for rather than having a fourth choice number eight who let's be honest is probably not going to get that much game time in Qatar if they're that far down the pecking order, that's that's how I see it. Who would be that difference maker? I I I would bring in Malik Tillman at this moment, okay. just a a little bit of a of, of a wild card. I'm, he would obviously be what like a sixth wide player, but I would honestly rather have a sixth wide player, a potential difference maker, as I say, than a than a fourth choice number eight, who, if I'm factoring in Reina and Aronson and Acosta, he's more like fifth or sixth choice because I would rather have, I'd rather have Ar- Aronson as the number eight over Eric Williamson. So the, I think Joe is right to point out the, the squad construction and how, how Berhalter will go about that. But even considering that, I wouldn't have Eric, Eric Williamson in my squad. So I am going to give the point uh, to Joe because I think it's, it's a compelling argument. I think
1: it, it speaks to what Williamson has been doing with Portland That said, I I also understand if he doesn't end up getting called in for the reasons that we've also discussed here. In a way, I feel like I want to give a point to Graham as well. (laughs) You're each getting a point is how it ends. So Graham still has the two point lead. But it's because like I, I think I do want Williamson included. But at the same time, to Graham's point. It feels a little bit like Ben Olsen in 2006, where it's like, yeah, he's in there and he's good, but is he that difference maker when push comes to shove? Do I want Eric Williamson starting? And I think the sample size, because of his injury, it's just hard to know. It's hard to know if he fits in as well as somebody who's been in the camp more recently and more regularly than he has. So it's a really difficult one, but I think in the end, I think I I go with with some of Joe's uh, rationale overall. Uh, and I also give a half point to Joe. We'll balance it back out uh, yes. for not trying to sell me on George Bellow over Sam Vines, which is where I thought you were going to go with that left back conversation. <laughs> a belated half point to Joe. Thank you. Uh, let's keep it rolling here. This one is where, like, I, I'm trying to decide how much of a jerk I want to be to Joe.
3: I'll
1: be Do it. Do it. Do it, Taylor. Uh, you, really? You want to do yeah. this way? All right. Just fine. do it. Do what you want. Do Graham, what you want. Give me the pro for Brandon Vasquez. <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> I, I, I love the mischief in this. So, this has been a breakout year for Brandon Vasquez in MLS. He scored 16 times, five assists. He's, he's provided five assists as well. Twi- tw- just played 29 games. So, that's a very good ratio for FC Cincinnati. And that alone should be enough to put him on the radar at the very least. Um, but it's not just Vasquez's scoring record that makes him an attractive option. Right now, he he could be the sort of number nine that rounds out the USMNT's attacking options at this World Cup. So we've spoken already. Jesus Ferreira is likely going to be, barring injury or anything like that, he's he is going to be the starting number nine for the US. But going into a tournament... You want options. You want players who can mix things up a little bit. If plan A isn't working, you want someone you can bring on or even start the next game to implement a plan B. And Vasquez could be that plan B. So he's six foot two. He is capable of holding up the ball. He's a physical presence from set pieces. Joe said about Malik Tillman. Maybe that's something that the US. Could use to gain an advantage in Qatar Vasquez would help with that um, And in and, and tournament football in particular You have to be pragmatic sometimes To get through games So maybe Berhalter wouldn't ideally want to play someone like Vasquez, But if that's what gets the results For the USMNT Then he should be in that roster He's also an excellent mover inside the penalty area He has that natural knack that all great number nines have of knowing how to create space for himself and we've seen plenty of that for Cincy this season and Berhalter has spoken he did that one-on-one with Andrew Wiebe was that last week or the week before I can't remember but anyway he's spoken about maybe calling one player into the roster over another because he hasn't had a chance to look at them closely and that suggests that Vasquez might well have a place on this on this roster there's there's also the argument looking at the broader picture and Berhalter's role as uh, an important figure in U.S. soccer, that he should further strengthen the pathway between MLS and the national team. Players should be rewarded for playing well in a division, the, the national division of of, of the U.S., and, and that will act as an incentive, a carrot in front of players' noses. You could set a precedent with this call-up that gets more out of some other players for the next cycle who also want to make that step, step up, that it's, it's not too late to get involved with a national team. You still can, can make a tournament. And if we're comparing options... In the number nine pool, you would say Vasquez is up against Jordan Pifog for one of those places, and I think I know Pifog is maybe showing a slightly different side to his game this season for Union Berlin, but there is a larger sample size that says Brandon Vasquez would be a better fit for this USMNT team, and 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 the way that they. Yes, he is physical. Yes, he can hold up the ball. Yes, he gives something different, but he's not going to be a misfit in this team. He is still going to offer something in possession. He is still going to align with this side. So that's my case for Brandon Vasquez. And I am now very much looking forward to Joe's case against. Okay, I'll do it. I'm ready for this, guys. I've been preparing my whole life for this moment. So (laughs) there's a few
2: different prongs of my argument here. The first one, Graham, I think you would agree with. And actually, you said this. I'm not breaking any new ground here. Vasquez doesn't fit this mobile profile of number 9 that Berhalter has defaulted to from pretty much day one, right? So he's not going to move or to roam like Jesus Ferreira. He's not going to move or to roam like Josh Sargent. It's just not going to happen. So that's that's one piece of this. He doesn't check that box. So let's go down to the second box, Graham, that you mentioned. This idea that, that Vasquez can be the change of pace. He can be someone to come in and be a big body and to hold up the ball I agree that he can hold up the ball, and I I certainly agree that he is a big body, um, but I don't agree that he's actually good at holding the ball up. So you dive into some of the numbers, and these are are kind of damning about Brandon Vasquez fitting this role. So second spectrum, which gathers data on MLS, I mentioned it earlier, they have Brandon Vasquez's hold-up attempts. So think about defender on his back, facing his own goal, trying to turn or, or trying to play a teammate. He only retains the ball 53% of the time. That's There's no context there. I don't know if that's good or bad. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. That puts him only in the 55th percentile in MLS, which is not good, right? This player that's supposed to be good at holding up the ball, at using his frame, at leveraging his size into retaining the ball and moving his team towards the attack, he's not actually doing that stuff, right? And so if he's not doing that in MLS... I question I heavily question his ability to do that stuff against England or Wales or Iran, teams that, that we're looking forward to after the September window. what is what are we going to prove about Brendan Vasquez in that regard? I don't think he's shown that he can do that. stuff. Jordan Pifak is playing at a higher level, has done some of that stuff this year already for Union Berlin. and And if we're looking for someone to do that third option, that that sort of change of pace, It seems pretty clear to me that PFOX resume is stronger, especially when you dive into the numbers. And then the last prong of all this is Cincinnati play weird soccer, right? Or at the very least, they play soccer that is not really all that similar in shape or in style, to how the US tries to play when they have the ball. So they play with two strikers. So that means Brandon Vasquez has a strike partner to take some of the, the attention off of him. And they play out of a 3-4-1-2 shape with Lucho Acosta, one of, if not the best number 10 in MLS, creating the chances for Vasquez underneath. The US plays with the midfield shape flipped the other way around. They play with a six and two eights, not two sixes and a ten or two eights and a ten. Vasquez is going to be isolated. He's not going to have Brenner to his right or, or or Lucho Acosta underneath. He's going to have a big gap between him and the midfield and between him and the wingers. It's a completely different setup tactically to what the U.S. use that we just don't have enough evidence about Vasquez playing in a U.S. similar shape to justify bringing him in over some of the other nine options, especially someone like Jordan Pifak, who has been involved with the U.S. before and has proven that he can do the hold-up big-man striker stuff at a higher level than Vasquez.
1: So... Is it Joe? If you're doing your three number nines, would it be Ferreira, Pefock and uh? Well, I guess since A- you're Am I
2: bound to past dis- comments, or am no, I we're, free? No, no,
1: no, no, And actually, let me let me pause that question to ask okay. Graham that question. Graham, <laughs> if you're doing your three number nines, is it uh, Ferreira, Pefock and then Vasquez? Wait, am I free? Who's free in this scenario?
2: <laughs> Are you free? Like like (laughs) Graham and I are both trying to make sure we don't contradict things we've said earlier that we definitely believe. I mean, I think Josh Sargent was program
1: anti-Joe, but I kind of feel like I forced you all out of these positions. So I'm not really going (laughs) to necessarily hold you to certain things and certain numbers that have been thrown about.
3: So, okay, so in terms of, of squad, mm-hmm. uh, what I will say <laughs> is I'm not sure whether we are free to to voice our actual opinions here, but in terms of, of, oh. of the squad construction, going back to that discussion, I want uh, Jesus Freire, we can all agree yeah. he's in there, and then I want a player who can come in and do his job as well as possible without disrupting the other team, so for me, that uh, the rest of the team, sorry, so for me, that's... Uh, Josh Sargent, and then you have kind of the the Plan B option, which is why I pitted P. against Vazquez. So I think there's if we're if we're if this roster is with a view to picking the and this is where it gets a little bit confusing because maybe Barhalter Berhalter wants to bring in two options to contrast and compare so that he makes a decision. But if if this is this roster is to reflect the one going to Qatar, I think there's only one place up for offer in 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 the squad. Uh, and then, okay, so then one-, one Great dodge, Graham.
2: Honestly, respect that. That was really good because I have no clue what I was going to say to Taylor.
1: <laughs> uh, man, th- this this gets tricky because, uh, Joe, y- you bring- It's like Inception. You bring up some compelling arguments here. I also, the most compelling thing I've heard in, in, in the entire conversation about Brandon Vasquez is the reminder that he's six foot two because I kind of completely forgot that. I'm sure I am alone in that one. Uh, But man, that, that would sound, I might have to push it to this final question and then maybe award double points for Ricardo Pepe. (laughs) Because that's, that's where we are at this point. Joe, you are going with the pro and Ricardo Pepe. Graham, you get to do the con, but Graham, you've already set yourself up nicely by listing your three. I was wondering if that would trip you up, but I think you did end up advocating for Josh Sargent and then putting him on your list. So, uh, Graham, well done. Joe, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was having, had
2: to
1: <laughs> having had to talk yourself away from Brandon Vasquez, talk yourself into Ricardo Pepe, if you would.
2: Sure. I mean, we've already seen Ricardo Pepe come in and change games, important games for the U.S. men's national team under Greg Berhalter. Taylor, do you remember how how bad things were in the first half of that game against Honduras? Do you re- I remember distinctly us recording that show after the game. I think we recorded it the next morning and talking about you know what would have happened if the U.S. had lost that game. What would have happened to carry that thought a little bit further if Ricardo Pepe hadn't come off the bench and scored? To, to change this game and to give the U.S. a result. And then he comes in and he does some more damage later on in World Cup qualifying as well. He scored goals for the U.S. men's national team, a spot where very few other players have actually put the ball into the back of the net. Jesus Herrera, still we're waiting on him to do that consistently with the men's national team. That's a big part of this, at least against teams that are not Grenada, right? That's That's a huge part. Where where are the goal scorers? Where are they? I think Ricardo Pepe has proven, he's shown in ways that other American strikers have not, that he can come in and change games for the US men's national team. He's great at slipping in behind. I think he's a unique he has a unique build and profile in this way. He's great at slipping in behind, which makes him really dangerous to get on the balls from, from the wingers or from the, the fullbacks pushing high. He's really good at doing that stuff. And we've seen him score in these sort of stable environments before. The one argument, just to sort of preempt something that I think Graham would, would understandably say, is this idea that, well, he didn't do anything at Augsburg. And that is entirely true entirely true because Augsburg are awful at soccer so I I think if you go back through and look at the goal scoring numbers for anyone in that squad from the time Pepe moved to now you're not going to be particularly impressed at all regardless of whether they're an American striker or not so I personally don't put much of any stock into that Augsburg signing in his time there because we talked about this when he moved that was always going to be an extremely difficult moment for Pepe he didn't thrive there I'm, I'm all about that but no one else really did at Augsburg either. So because of what we've seen him do with the U.S. in the past and how we've seen him change games, I think he's a really strong option now that he's playing in the Eredivisie and changing box scores as well for them. Get him into the September camp. See what he can do before you throw Pepe out just because he didn't do well in a really challenging situation in
3: Germany. Graham, over to you. Rebuttal. We're not even rebuttal. Counterpoint. So, pretty much every player in the number 9 pecking order right now is, is scoring goals at the moment, besides Riccardo Pepe. In fact, Riccardo Pepe hasn't scored a, a goal for club or country in 11 months. Let's just take a moment to fully comprehend that. Pepe is a centre-forward, he cost $20 million at the start of the year, and he hasn't scored a single goal for nearly a year. Is that really the guy that you want playing for you at the World Cup? If it, if it comes to it, and I keep coming back to this point, you should be selecting players for this roster with a view to the World Cup, and every player in the World Cup roster should be there because they can make a difference. Are we really that confident that Ricardo Pepe right now as he's playing can make that difference because I watch him play it doesn't matter whether it's for uh, Augsburg and I know he's just made a move to to, to Holland uh, but he's o- he only came on for the second half of a game at, at the weekend there so too, too small a sample size to draw any conclusions there but if we look at how he's playing for Augsburg before that move he's not playing with any conviction he's low on confidence and that is affecting all areas of his game so all the qualities that Ricardo uh, that Joe mentioned there about Ricardo Pepe what he has we haven't really seen any of that since the- the start of this year and that is a long time those ru- he's not making those runs his 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 passing ability seems to have deserted him everything is is very sloppy there's not much sharpness there and the opportunities that he does get in front of goal he is fluffing. You put him in that roster for the World Cup in Qatar, you're talking about burdening, potentially burdening this young man with a Chris Wondolowski moment at a World Cup. And that is not what you want at all. And if he's in this squad, it'll be down to blind loyalty from Berhalter. And that this is just not the time for that sort of thing. Yes, if Berhalter wants to bring him into a post-World Cup camp to try and rehabilitate him and get his confidence back, uh, that's fine. I can understand that. But there's an actual real-life World Cup around the corner. You need players who can contribute right now, and Pepe is shown over, over a prolonged period of time. So Joe made the argument against Josh, Josh Sargent that it's a flash in the pan. Let's flip that. This is this is not a run of a bad run of like four or five games for Pepe. This is a prolonged period. We're talking about and calling him up for this camp just wouldn't send the right message. P. Fox scoring goals, Sargent scoring goals, even players like Hadji Wright, is, uh, he's scoring goals. Brandon Vasquez is scoring goals in MLS. So what would it say if Pepe got picked over some or all of them for this roster?
1: All right, so here's where things stand before I start awarding some points. Uh, Graham is ahead seven points to Joe's five and a half. Joe, I'm giving you one point for making a compelling argument that you want uh, Ricardo Pepe versus Brandon Vasquez because I know that you don't. So <laughs> seven to 6.5. Joe, I'm also giving you a point for raising valid criticisms about Brandon Vasquez because I think we only hear the hype. Uh, so bringing up some of those concerns about his holdup play uh, I think are uh, valuable and useful. Now it's 7.5 to 7 for Joe. But ultimately, Graham, you're getting a point. Graham's winning 8 to 7.5. Uh, because, yeah, I think we have to be okay with giving Ricardo Pepe a look uh, after the World Cup. I-, I agree with that. And I think when you look at the only difference, then would be like, Graham, you had, I think, previously argued that like Tim Ream won't be involved in 2026. So why include him in this one? And I think you could make like the counter argument about Ricardo Pepe, except that all of the other strikers are also pretty young. So you you basically kind of have that cancel out, and I think it ends up being let's give Ricardo Pepe uh, another look when he gets that form back under him, if and when he gets that form back under, when he starts scoring some goals. But for now, I think there are other forwards who are scoring and deserve that look in this camp. Uh, So credit to both of you, a very close one. And you know what? While we're awarding some points, plus one to each of you uh, for not – uh, like uh, disparaging Major League Soccer. Um, uh, well, well done to you both because that would have been uh, negative points immediately. And uh, plus
3: one to Giorgio. I mean, Ke- Joe was never going to do that, was he? <laughs> no, he wasn't. He managed. He almost managed to disparage the Scottish Premiership in there, but he uh, just about refrained when he was making his argument I, uh, for uh, for Jim uh,
2: <laughs> I was really close to doing that, Graham. I also came really close to a cheap shot at RSL, but uh, but did not. So <laughs> you're welcome, I guess. Yeah, MLS fans, I
1: guess. Yeah, I, I think so. And uh, plus one to Giorgio Chiellini mostly just to annoy Ryan uh, yep. if he's listening still yeah agreed. <laughs> yeah everybody agrees so plus three actually for Giorgio Chiellini
2: uh, I'm <laughs> so I'm down to just give match. my points to Chiellini as well so that he wins uh, I don't know maybe or at least ties with Graham I think go. that would be nice wouldn't it <laughs> perfect Giorgio Chiellini always winning
1: uh, Ryan Bailey I hope you heard it here first gentlemen that was phenomenal well argued on, on all accounts uh, Joe was there one that you uh, hated arguing for, uh, for or against more than any of the others
2: uh, Pepe is pretty close to the top of the list. I, I don't think he should be anywhere near this U.S. team right now, to be totally honest. Not to say that Pepe can't be good one day. It just, it's too soon. It's, it's way too soon. I, I think that's probably one. Yep. And Ethan Horvath might actually be the other. I, I think he should totally be involved okay. in the squad, to be honest. Stefan, I, I don't think, should be in the in the picture at all. Whether or not that means he will, I don't know. But he is playing. I think you at least have to give him a look in this window, I think Turner should still be the number one, but maybe that changes. I wouldn't be wholly against that, even though I am pretty strongly against that. Either way, Horvath should be in the team.
1: And Graham, any for you that you were particularly excited to get
3: to defend or attack? So I was against... See, this is where my memory yeah. lets me down. I've forgotten yeah. who I argued for and against. I was against Tillman, right? That was, that was yeah, what happened. Yeah, you were. So, yeah. So I, I think Tillman deserves a look. I know he's he's had a couple bad games for Rangers, but he deserves a chance to show what he can do in this roster, potential difference maker. So yeah, that was the, that was the most painful one for me. But I feel like a lot of the painful ones were handy to Joe. So thanks for that, Taylor.
1: <laughs> you are welcome. Uh, we are getting that roster, I believe, on the 15th, which would be Thursday. So uh, I think we had tentatively agreed that that would be our big thing topic for this week, unless something else major uh, comes up. So gentlemen, I look forward to discussing that roster with both of you, but for now, Graham Ruffin, uh, congratulations on your victory. And thank you for chatting USMNT with me today.
3: Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. What's, what's my trophy? What'd I get for winning this? Uh,
1: You get a six pack of iron brew.
3: Oh, I'll take
1: that. <laughs> that was the fastest thing I could think of. Joe Lowry, you get a six-pack of flat Iron Brew uh, because oh. you ran it close, but you didn't quite get there.
3: You know what? They I get sell that. that as dye Iron Brew. <laughs> that's what that's called. <laughs> I'll
1: take it. I'll
2: take it, Taylor. Thank you.
1: Uh, Listeners, thank you so much for sticking with us. Hopefully you enjoyed this one. Uh, I definitely did. I laughed quite a bit. I had to mute myself several times because I was worried I was laughing too much into the microphone. Uh, So credit to both of my co-hosts for that one. Thank you all for listening all the way through, if you have. And we will talk to you very soon.